think Mitch blew out a tire somewhere along the way. Uh, so pray for him and his voice, because he's got to come back tonight and lead. We've got a, a celebration service tonight as we're ending our 21 days of fasting and prayer. So I would encourage you to come back tonight, 6 o'clock to 7 o'clock. It's a short time of testimonies, of prayer for one another, uh, taking communion, which we always do at the end of our fast. We break, commun- uh, we break our fast by celebrating the Lord's Supper together, the Lord's Table. And so come back tonight at 6 o'clock and be a part of that very, very special service. So Mitch has got to lead again, so pray for quick healing, healing for Mitch. For tonight, take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 9, and then if you want to hold there, you can also turn over to Acts 10, or if you didn't bring your Bible or just want to look up at the screen, I'll put the scripture passages up there so you can read along with us. Again, guests, we're really glad that you're here with us. Uh, Part of what we do at Fullness, we, we love to worship and sing praises to God, we love to pray for one another, and we love to look at God's word together. Uh, So those three components are generally a part of our worship service every Sunday morning, singing praises, worshiping God, praying for one another, and studying God's word together. And we believe, just as we sang, that the Holy Spirit comes to fill us up to overflowing, that really, unless the Holy Spirit comes and reveals God's word to us, we really can't get a hold of it. We can't understand it. So as we've been singing about the coming of the Holy Spirit We are also praying that what is about to take place is not merely an intellectual exercise where I tell you what the Bible says and you hope to perceive it in your mind. My prayer right now is that there is an uncovering that takes place, that you will know God's word. You will know God's plan and God's purpose for who you are. As we've started the month of January, we've been looking at the power of story, that there is incredible story all throughout the scripture. We started by looking at his story, history, get it? Kind of clever history. Come on, people, let's go. His story, his story, God's story, the story of Christ and God's redemptive plan throughout scripture that without Jesus, you cannot unlock the word of God that it really is about, he is the interpretive key, I believe, to the entire scripture. So his story. Then we looked at our story last week. If you're new to fullness and want to know, and missed last week, want to know what is the vision of this church? Who are we? Where are we headed? What is it we're all about? Please get that sermon from last week as we talked about our story. It was very important. These next weeks, I want to look at I said my story, not my story personally, but our individual stories, what God is doing in us. So today we're going to look at a story because it's, it's critical to our understanding of your story and what you're to do with it. Next week, Cheryl is going to be sharing about um, faith and what you say to yourself. And then the next week uh, is going to be a little bit unusual. We want to, I want to do want to step back and tell you the story of my family, some things God has brought us through, and hopefully uh, you'll be here to, to share with us that, that Sunday. Because, I, again, I know there are people who've said to me, oh, Pastor, you can't relate to XYZ because your kids are perfect, you have a perfect marriage, um, something along those lines, because you see me from a distance. And as vulnerable as I try to be, as real as I try to be, there's a thought well, surely he doesn't, or they don't. Well, let me tell you, we, we do. And uh, so I, I just want to, we want to share our story with you a little bit. So me and other family members will be sharing that morning. So I want to encourage you to be here two weeks, from, two weeks from today to hear that. And if you have a young person, I would encourage you to bring them that day. Uh, a young adult, high school student, particularly through college age, I would encourage you to bring them. Uh, it's going to be an important day. But, so these next three weeks are great. Today, you've got to be glad you're here because this is going to be really good. Uh, this is one, I know I say this about every week, but this is one of my favorite Bible stories. I love this story because this chapter is unbelievably rich in helping us uncover what it is that's keeping us from moving forward. This is the story in John chapter 9 of a blind man. A man who was born blind from birth. And here's what I want to do. I want to I summarize the story for you because I just want to 
um, give you the overview because I don't have time. It's a very long chapter, and I don't have time to read through every passage. So I'm going to give you the summary of the story just to remind you what takes place. And in doing that, I would then want to come back and from this passage pick out some parts that talk about what, what is the darkness that is hindering us either from receiving God's plan for our lives or from moving forward in it? Because I think there are some examples in this passage. And then I want to look at the power of, of how light dispels darkness. It overcomes that darkness doesn't overcome light. Light overcomes darkness. And then what is the power of our story? And I'm going to flip over to Acts chapter 10 just to kind of bring in a couple of uh, different examples to to look at that. So you ready to move forward? If you want to follow along, there's an outline in your bulletin and with a lot of the scripture passages passages listed there. But for right now, here's the story. Jesus has just come away from the Feast of Tabernacles, which is a very symbolic feast concerning himself and that streams of living water passage I quoted to you earlier. All of that is taking place at the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus and his disciples have come out of the temple area, and there is a man who is born blind who is there. And his disciples say, we'll come back to this thinking in just a second, who who is it that sinned that this guy is born blind? Now, for them, this is a theological premise, a theological understanding of sin and and darkness, and prosperity, and a bunch of other stuff. But who is it that was born blind? Jesus says to them, hey, it wasn't this guy, or because pa- they, they want to know, was it his parents that caused the blindness, or is this guy had sin in his life? How could he be born, born blind before he even had an opportunity to sin? Jesus said, I, and, and I'm summarizing. Some of you are already reading the passage. I love the fact you're reading the Bible, but just look up here for a second. Um, Jesus says it's not because of sin. This is about the sovereignty of God so that he could do and demonstrate what he wants to show you right now. So Jesus spits in some mud, uh, spits in some dirt and makes some mud and puts it on the guy's eye. One of two examples where Jesus does this. And again, doesn't mean we should use this as the way we always pray for people. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad? You're yeah, I want prayer and I spit on something. And Anyway, Jesus spits on the, uh, the dirt gets him mud, puts it on his eyes, and then tells the guy to go wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, And and this is very symbolic, too, because this is the pool from which the priests draw their water for the Feast of Tabernacles. Again, going back to the passage where Jesus says, is any among you thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You got the whole pool um, that the priests draw water from, and Jesus is demonstrating he really is the the, the well of life. He is the light of the world. Anyway, the guy goes, washes his eyes, and he can, he can see. Now, this is the last we see of Jesus for a little while uh, in this story, because then the guy goes home, and his neighbors say, hey, isn't this the guy that we've known since he was little, and he was blind, and he's always been blind? And others of them say, oh, it can't be the guy. No one can heal a blind guy from birth, because This is one of the signs of the Messiah coming. This is one of the signs of God on earth. I mean, there could be an explanation of a guy who was sighted, then had some sort of blindness, now he can see, but a person born blind, not receiving their sight, only God could do that. There is a general recognition, even among them, only God could do this. And they're saying, so this can't be the guy. This must be a guy that looks like him, but this does not be the other guys. People are saying, anyway, the guy finally gets frustrated. I'm the guy. I'm the person you've known since I was born. I was blind, but now I can see. And they say, okay, great. We need to take him to the Pharisees because they're the the experts in this. They take the guy to the Pharisees. They say, hey, were you born blind? And yeah, I was born blind. Guy spit on some dirt, put some mud on my eyes, told me to wash. He did it today? Or... Yeah, well, it's the Sabbath, so this guy must be a sinner. The guy that did it must be a sinner. So they're, they're all worked up because it all happened on the Sabbath. It, missing in all of this is a joy, is any kind of joy that this blind guy can now see. Instead, they've got territory to protect. They've got things to worry about. So the, the, the Pharisees are thinking this really couldn't be true because we know if this guy was born blind and now he can see that the person who did this must be remarkable. They bring the guy's parents in. Guy's parents are 
terrified, really. They're afraid of the Pharisees, and they say, hey, is this your son? Yes. Was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. What happened? Don't know. You ask him. He's of age. He can tell you. They bring the guy back in. What happened? They, they, they quiz him on the whole deal. What happened? What happened? And they start to get into some theological discussions about the Sabbath and the healing and, the, and who this guy was. And the guy gets to the point where he makes, he, he's so frustrated. He's just a blind guy who got healed. And he says, listen, I don't know the answer to your question, but this thing I know I once was blind, but now I see. It's the power of story. It is the power of a changed life. It is the power of what God can do and what we have to share. They kick him out. The Pharisee, he says some other things like, hey, what's wrong with you people? Do you want to be his disciples too? To which they get really mad. He's a sinner. You're a sinner. You're steeped in sin from your birth. They kick him out. Jesus hears they kick him out, comes back and says, basically, I hear they kicked you out. They did. And he said, do you believe in the Son of Man, which is a euphemism in the New Testament for the Messiah. Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe I'm the Son of God or believe in the Son of God? And the man says, yes, I be- I, I, where is he? And Jesus says, I'm, I'm he. And the guy in faith receives his sight again. This time, not physical sight, but spiritual sight. In faith, he walks in relationship with Jesus. In this story, I believe there are some truths that we can get a hold of. The first is this. It has to do with blindness. It has to do with what is preventing us from either receiving the truth of God or what is keeping us from sharing our story. Either way is blindness. Either way is blindness. And how do we overcome this darkness? So the first thing I want to look at is the power of blindness, what it does to us, what it does to us. And I want to look just real quickly at, I know there's a whole list, but the passages are listed in your, in your outline. I, I think there are a lot of things that cause blindness, really, to either keep us from sharing or from receiving God's truth. All right, here we go. We're blinded by judgment. We're blinded by judgment. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Now notice they don't ask, Rabbi, was this caused by sin? Their assumption is, here we got a problem. Somebody sinned. Somebody sinned. This man or his parents that he was born blind. This is a basic theological premise that they walked in. And it really goes all the way back to the blessings and curses that Moses gave them as they were about to enter the land. If you go back to that, basically it says this. If you'll follow God, he'll bless you. If you don't follow God, he'll curse you. Now, they took this as an absolute principle under all circumstances. Therefore, if someone were prospering, he must be righteous. Are are you following me? In other words, if if a guy is rich and is prospering and is healthy, then he must be a righteous man because God blesses those who are righteous. Hence, remember this week when the rich young ruler, for those of you doing your Bible readings, the rich young ruler comes and uh, wants to know what's the, the, the deal to following Jesus. And he says, hey, go sell all your money. And Jesus says, it's harder for a rich guy to enter the kingdom of heaven than uh, uh, something about an eye of camel of a needle. Anyway, I'm moving too fast. Hang with me, though. You know the story. And the disciples are astounded because they think, wait a minute. If a rich, righteous guy can't enter the kingdom, how am I going to get in? So they also see that if a person is suffering, if there is sin in the world that is caused, they think this guy must be a sinner. 
He's either sinned or his parents sinned. Who sinned? Same principle you see at work with Job's friends who come to talk to him. When we let a spirit of judgment come upon us, it will cause us to be blind from receiving truth or from sharing the truth. In the mid-80s, when the AIDS epidemic hit, a lot of you weren't even alive at that point. But do you remember kind of the sense of things, even in the church? The sense was this. AIDS is a disease of those who are homosexuals or IV drug users. And there was an inherent judgment about it. They deserve it. They're walking in sin. Therefore, they deserve this horrible, horrible thing. When we're blinded by judgment, it keeps us from walking out the truth of God, which is to love God and love people. Because instead of loving people, we say they're in our category of they don't really deserve it. Hello? Are you with me? We all have our list of people we think maybe we're judging them, therefore God should judge them, therefore they're beyond the hope of the gospel. Oh, people, we've got to get over that. It's a blindness on us if we don't begin to believe that God came to seek and to save the lost. By the way, let me just remind you, just in case, I, I don't believe there are many... We unintentionally get here, ask the Spirit of God to shine light on the judgments of your heart. Because I don't think we, most of us want to walk in judgments. We don't want to be there, but sometimes we just do. And it'll keep us from, from walking out the truth. I don't want to get so bogged down in all of these. We're blinded by skepticism. We're blinded by skepticism. By the way, this is my personal favorite sin. Uh, skepticism. It's one of my, uh, it's one of the, the, the ditches of my life. Um, I'm going to write a book someday about confessions of an overcoming skeptic. Um, somebody can test me on it. And anyway, in John 9, 8 and 9, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. Some of the people missed what God was doing because they were skeptical of the miracle. They were skeptical of the miracle. Asking to test the truth and being skeptical of everything is not exactly the same thing. In other words, I'm not saying just receive every single thing without testing it to see is it of God or not. But there's a difference in that position and saying, eh, I don't think so. You know what I mean? God, show me your truth versus just assuming the position, eh, I don't think so. This couldn't, you know, God doesn't do that anymore. Or God doesn't work that way. Or God couldn't do this. You may be thinking, well, I'm not really a skeptic. Let me ask you this. Is there somebody in your life right now that you believe can't get saved? That's beyond the reach of the gospel. I don't think God's going to be, you know, they're so far gone. Really, they can't, they can't be reached. If you say that, then you're a skeptic. Think about this. In the New Testament times, there was probably not one figure really given to us in the New Testament who was more beyond the reach of the gospel than Saul. I mean, he, his life purpose was to kill Christians. That was his reason for being. His raison d'etre kind of thing was to find people. Hang with me again, people. Yeah, that's all right. Anyway, his reason for being was to find those who were followers of Christ and kill them. If, that, if they had looked, and I mean, even after he gets saved, the church is what? They're skeptical. I don't think this has got to be a ploy. 
Maybe this is just a way for him to get in, find out who we are, and then to kill us. It took a guy like Barnabas, son of encouragement, to go get Saul, bring him in, to convince people he's for real. God really did this. Do you really believe the passage that there is power in the gospel? There is power in the good news? Then think about this. There is nobody in your life right now that's beyond the reach of the good news of Jesus Christ. No one. All right, we're blinded by religion. We're blinded by religion. John 9, 13 through 16, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. At this point is when the religious experts get involved in the process. You may, you may have heard the old story about the umpire who said something like this. Uh, there are balls and then there are strikes. But they aren't anything until I call them. You get it? He, he's saying it, it's, just, it's just a pitch until I say it's a ball or a strike. Until the Pharisees got involved and said... This is a miracle. It wasn't. They considered themselves the spiritual umpires of their day. And in doing so, they had a problem. They were overwhelmed with religion. And religion is a system of beliefs. It is a way of thinking, how do I get to God? How do I step closer to God? And we've talked over and over and over again that Christianity is not a religion. It's not about how I get to God. Christianity is about a relationship, how God got to me. How God came into my life and redeemed me and saved me. So the problem with religion is that it is blinding because when you get a system of beliefs, that becomes everything and you've got to pass it all through your system of beliefs. Does this happen? Does this not happen? What occurs here? Listen, I wish I could tell you that the church is different, but it's not. Many within the church, many churches have just become religious systems. And it is a battle in our flesh to to keep this way of thinking out. Because if it gets in, we're blind. What are we blind to? Anything that's outside of our belief stuff. Anything that moves, if if it's right in here, then we're good. Why did the Pharisees miss Jesus? Because he didn't fit their system. I mean, right now he's healing on the Sabbath. No way, Jose, no way he, he was healing on the Sabbath. He couldn't do that. God couldn't do that. God wouldn't do that because that's not the way God works. I could get off on this for... A long time talking about, you know, how many things I probably missed in my life just because I unintentionally picked up a religious way of thinking. You know, it's a it's a close sister to skepticism. You know, if you're skeptic, then you've got a system. It passes through your system, so to speak, and if it fits muster, then it's it's good. But if not, then throw it out. It causes us to be blind. We are also blinded by fear. Blinded by fear. Here's the parents. Oh, I'm sorry, I got too, too far ahead of myself. Blinded by fear. The parents, here's what happens. The Pharisees bring in the man's parents. They ask them, is this your son? Yes, they reply. Was he born blind? Yes, he was born blind. Then they say, basically, hey, we're the experts here. We're going to get to the bottom of this. Give us a real story. What happened? Now, they're afraid. Why are they so afraid of these guys? They can kick them out. And they've already said, if anybody says Jesus is the Messiah, we're going to kick them out of the synagogue. Now, you may think, well, big deal. Go to another one. That's our mentality, right? 
Ah, there's, there's a ton of churches around. Let's just go to another one. Listen, for them, the synagogue was life. It was community. It was everything, you know, um, business is going to go down. If they, if they kick us out, you know, no one's going to fellowship with us. Everything's going to, it's like being really kicked out. So they're afraid. And as a result, they don't, they know this is their son who was born blind. And whoever did this is remarkable. Has to be God in some way. Can't be a sinner. But they're not going to say because they're frozen in fear. I want to say to people, we've got to, many of us have more faith in our fears than we do in the God who delivered us. We, we lean into them. We depend on them. They become really close friends to us. And we don't want to get rid of our fears. We're not willing to. Un- and as a result, we are frozen. We're blind to what God can do. <clears throat> when I was in middle school, I, I delivered papers for the Washington Post way back when. Um, and generally, I would ride my bike from my house to the apartment complex, which was a couple of miles away. Um, it's a funny story, but I, I'll spare you the, all the details of me delivering papers. Um, but when it was really cold or the weather was really bad, my parents would get up, one of my parents would get up, and they would drive me, because I was only in eighth grade. I was in, well, I was in eighth and ninth grade, so I was like 13 years old, 12, 13 years old, delivering papers. Think about this. Would you let your child, 12 or 13, get on a bike at 5 o'clock in the morning and drive two, ride two miles to an apartment complex to deliver papers in Washington, D.C.? I don't think so. You know, we're so fearful that we're not going to let things happen uh, like that. And I'm sure the day I lived, the day I was raised, it was just as bad as now. We just didn't know, I think, about it as much. Anyway, my dad, one morning, got up, took me over to the paper route, and we came back, and we were driving back home, and our, our house was next to the church. It was a parsonage. So there was a hill where the church was, and our house was at this bottom of the hill, and on the other side of the hill was a cemetery, um, a big cemetery. Now, I wasn't afraid of cemeteries because we played soccer in them, and uh, we played football and did all sorts of stuff. The guy who oversaw the cemetery was always mad at us for moving those grave markers around. They weren't, the dead people weren't there. They were the plots that people had bought that they were one day going to spend their eternal rest in. But we would take those out of the ground and make like boundaries or goals or, or bases or whatever. And the guy was always coming and saying, Pastor, we don't know where we're going to bury Mr. Smith because your kids have moved uh, the markers again. Anyway, we come up through the cemetery to the top of the hill, and the front door on the church is opened. And so my dad says, come on, let's go see what, why this door is open. So, again, I'm 12 or 13. I probably weighed 80 pounds. I don't know what I weighed in 12, you know. I was not a very big guy. So the only thing I had in the car was a pair of wire cutters because, I don't know, you, they wrap paper bundles in wires, and you'd have to clip them, uncut them, to get the papers out to deliver the papers. So I grab these wire cutters. My dad and I go in the door, and, you know, I'm I'm all brave and everything. I'm walking in the door, and my dad and I walk in, and when we walk in, in this dark church, we hear this noise up on the pulpit, up on the, like, up in this area. So we're at the back of the church, in this dark church, and my dad goes, Bart, go turn on the lights. Bart, go turn on the lights. Bart, go turn on the light. I mean, I'm just frozen in fear, thinking, what is up there? What is up? Now, it was a guy, honestly, so I did go turn on the lights. It was a guy, a homeless guy who'd gotten drunk, broken into the church, and fallen asleep up, up on the pulpit. And so my dad was able, my dad was great. He ministered to the guy, helped him get some stuff, and uh, took care of him. But to me, it's just an example of what happens. When you're frozen in fear, you just 
it, it overtakes you. You cannot move. If indeed God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and of si- a sound mind, then we've got to get unfrozen. Uh, I'll, you know, we've got to let it go. We've got to get, we've got to get to a place where we're going to move forward. Why do you not share your story with people? Why? Most of it is because we're afraid. Now, we may justify it for a lot of different reasons other than fear, but when you get right down to it, it has, it is, it has to do with fear. We're also blinded by sin. We're blinded by sin. Jesus, now, after all that takes place, Jesus meets with a guy, talks to him. Here's what he says. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. What is he talking about? He's saying, listen, there's a bunch of people who don't see. They know they don't see. They're blinded. But I've come to help them see. But those who think they can see, I'm coming to make them blind. Because they can't see. Sin Sin causes us to be blind. And we don't know our own sinfulness until the light of the Lord shines his way into our lives. The problem is, if we understand that we're sinful, then we have the opportunity to walk in light. But if we think we're walking in light and that we don't have sin, then what? We're really blind. I mean, really blind. Because we're deceived. Charles Spurgeon said this, It is not our littleness, it is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It is not our weakness that hinders Christ, it is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ, it is our supposed light that holds back his hand. In short, our problem is sin. And we need the light of the Lord to shine into our lives. Now, all of these things I've given you, um, fear, uh, sin, all of these will, will cause us not to receive God's truth, but I would also contend that they will help keep us from sharing God's truth with others. But I, I want us to see that there is power in light, that light overcomes the darkness. Here's what Jesus says to the, to the man. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out when he found him. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The light of life came into this man's life. What is more important, your physical eyes or your spiritual eyes? I'm not saying your physical eyes are unimportant. But you know, you're going to die someday. And your physical eyes, they're going to dim. No matter what you do, between now and the day of your death, your body is going to decay. Thank you for that good news, Pastor. Thanks for really blessing me with that this morning. But the part of you that will live forever is the spirit man. The, you know, we're going to get new bodies. We're going to have resurrection bodies. I, I don't know all the understandings of what they're going to look like and what they're going to be, but what's eternal is that your spiritual eyes get opened, that the light of God shine in your life. This imagery of spiritual darkness is used throughout the scripture. And without going into it, just again, going back to Saul. Saul is persecuting the church. And what happens? He's on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. What happens? He sees what? A great light that says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And what happens to Saul? physical blindness to demonstrate to him you think you can see Saul but you can't you can't see you're blind to what you're doing 
He goes on in to Damascus, Ananias, who I think is one of the incredible men of faith, who gets a word, go pray for Saul. Really? Really? Go pray for Saul. He goes, prays for Saul. The scales fall from his eyes. Saul receives light, the light of the Lord. Again, if that light can penetrate the darkness of the soul of a man like Saul, who had all of these blindness things working, sin, maybe fear, but definitely religion, skepticism, other things. If it can pierce his life, it can pierce others. I mean, it's why he says there's power in the gospel because he has experienced that power for himself. That's in Acts 9. In Acts 10, we get another story. And this is another kind of blindness that I didn't list, but this is another kind of blindness. Up until Acts 10, the church, which had been told to share the gospel where? Remember? Go and be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then where? So far, we've covered Jerusalem, maybe a little Judea. Eh, Samaria, not so much. We had to. Jesus talked to that woman at the well and might have had to do a couple of things. But beyond that, it's really not gone anywhere. Why? Why, why did the gospel not go anywhere? I, I would contend... Well, there might be fear involved, but I would contend that basically the early disciples were racist. I mean, that may be a strong statement, but they felt like they were the people of God. It's all a Jewish thing. Jesus came to seek and save us. And so they never left. It could have been that they were comfortable. They probably didn't see it in this light. They probably wouldn't have said that, but they never went. They never got out there. So what happens? Persecution comes upon the church. Saul was actually an instrument of God to use to break out the church and get him out of Jerusalem. So at this point, Peter is now in a city, a neighboring city, Joppa. And this guy Cornelius has a vision. He's, he's a Gentile. And he says, the, the angel, a vision, says to him, go to Peter's house and talk to him. While he's going, Peter gets a vision of these animals coming down on a sheet. And the Lord says to him, Peter, get up, kill an animal and eat it. To which Peter, who you got to love, says, no way, Lord. Now, this isn't the first time Peter has said no to the Lord, which is, by the way, not a great position to ever be in. I mean, really, if he's your Lord, then you do what? Yes, sir. And the, the, the Lord says to him, don't, don't call something I've declared clean, unclean. Again, Peter doesn't know, but he's got a religious spirit on him as well. I mean, you know, we all get this stuff and constant revelation from the Lord about things that we need to kind of readjust in our, in our thinking that cause us blindness. Three times this happens. Peter has to overcome his own really kind of blindness by the light of the Lord in this vision this appearance from the Lord in order to move forward. But here's what I would contend. The light, the light is going to keep moving. Darkness is not going to overcome it. No matter what we think, light will pierce the darkness. I've told this story, I don't know how many times, but to me it just, I, I, I shiver every time I think about it. In the mid-90s, when my dad asked me to go to Albania with him, Chris went, uh, Larry went, others from here, Dan and Beth went with me, other people. We went to Albania. One of the early meetings, now, Albania, just to remind you, was a communist country overseen by a dictator named Hocha, who was a, who was a tyrant. He declared his small country the most atheistic country in the world. 
He said, there will be no religion in this country. No, no Bibles, no nothing. I mean, for 40 years, they had no visible witness of the gospel or of any other religion, and it was punishable by death. One of the early stories in Albania was that they took the Christians, put them in barrels, put them in the Adriatic, and used them for target practice until the barrels sank. Uh, I mean, it was that kind of place. So we go in, communism falls. A lot of people have gone in already. I'm like two or three or four years behind the, the, the wave of the gospel coming in. And there's a small church that's there that my dad is working with in the capital city of Tirana. And we go into this city to help raise up leaders. Because my dad would go in in those early days and he would say, let's talk about Jesus. Um, uh, Jesus says, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man's going to be lifted up. Now, you know the story of Moses. And they look around, who? We, we never heard of this guy, Moses. I mean, it's hard for us to believe here in the Bible Belt South, but they never, you know, they've never heard of any of the Old Testament stories. They barely knew the story of Jesus. But it was enough of the gospel, they got saved. So my dad, one day, we were at a banquet, and I was there. It was a dinner. It was in the basement of this place we were staying. My dad says, let's go around the table and talk about how we heard of Jesus. How did you first come to hear the gospel, several around this table stood up and said, in the mid-70s, I had a dream. And the dream was of a man who had blood coming from his wrists and his side and his feet. He was all dressed in white, and he said, follow me. And I said in my dream, who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. And that's all they knew, and they gave their hearts to follow him. Several around that table. And and you you know, the skeptic in me is saying, no way. But at the same time, I'm saying the light of the gospel will not be stopped. It won't. God will find a way to pierce the darkness. Now, he has chosen to use me and you to do that. But if you and I refuse, he could raise rocks up that could cry out to his name. He'll speak to people in dreams and in visions. We have to receive the power of the light. And and here's the truth that I really want to get to in these just remaining minutes. The power of the light is in you, which gives you the power of your story, which is a part of the story. If this light is that powerful, as God is that powerful, then he's moving through you and me to share the light with the world around us. Back in Acts 10, I'm I'm staying in Acts 10 just for a second. Jesus says, uh, excuse me, Peter has the vision, wakes up, guy comes up, tells Peter, hey, there's a guy at your door. He said, let's go with him. He goes to Cornelius' house. This is a huge step. You and I probably underestimate the bigness of what Peter was doing. And Peter starts to tell them about Jesus. He tells them about Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his coming judgment and his offer of salvation and forgiveness. And Peter says this, we are witnesses of everything everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. What is Peter saying? Peter's saying his story is now my story. I've seen what he did. I've received. We are witnesses. That's the whole idea. The, 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 the word witness comes from marturio, which means martyr, but it basically means one who's seen. We're witnesses. What happens He doesn't get much further than this statement when the Holy Spirit comes on all who heard the message. You see, to me, this is it. This is the formula right here. What happens? You share your story. The Holy Spirit comes. 
God reveals his truth to people. Are you, are you with me? Now, you may say, well, he could do it anyway. He has chosen to use you and to use your story and you as you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Well, I don't know all the theological stuff. You know, what if they ask me about the guy in Africa who doesn't know the, who, who never hears? Is he going to go to heaven or not? Listen, people, share what you know, which is what? Your story. Share your story of what God has done in your life. I once was blind, now I see. People cannot argue with the power of a changed life. You may not have all the stuff. So what? This guy didn't have all the, the answers either. Brennan Manning tells the story of a recent convert to Jesus who was approached by an unbelieving friend. The friend says this, So, you have converted to Christ? Yes. Then you must know a great deal about him. Tell me, what country was he born in? I, I don't know. What was his age when he died? Again, I, I, I don't know. Well, you certainly know very little for a man who claims to be a convert to Christ. You're right. I am ashamed of how little I know about him, but this much I know. Three years ago, I was a drunkard. My family was falling to pieces. They dreaded the sight of me. But now I've given up drinking. We're out of debt. Ours is a happy home. My children eagerly await my return home each evening. All this Christ has done for me. This much I know of Christ. Now Jesus can still make the blind people. He can make the blind see. He can make them see physically. He can, but more importantly, he can make us see spiritually. He can transform the lives of people without hope. There is power when we share our story, the story of a transformed life. It is the power of the gospel. And people, we need not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because why? It is the power of God to everyone who believes. I was so encouraged the other night. We had a men's meeting Thursday night. It was really encouraging because uh, Rob gave his story again. Um, Rob... Malcolm gave his story. It was the story to me of a transformed life. It is just Rob is a miracle. Why? Just like you and I are miracles because God made you dead people alive. We were all dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive. Now, some of us seem to have been more dead than others. I mean, I don't, you know, we kind of celebrate the more dead sometimes than the less dead. But we were all dead, dead. We weren't partially dead. This isn't one of those Princess Bride things. We were all dead. <laughs> but God made us alive in Christ Jesus. It is the power of the gospel. We have a story to share. Here's the other thing. If you don't have a story to share, maybe it's because you're not a part of the story yet. Maybe it's because God hasn't redeemed you or you've not given your heart to him as Lord and Savior. Maybe the light isn't there yet. Good news, today can be that day. You can receive Jesus as the one who forgives your sins and helps you walk in light. Otherwise, we all got a story to share. Paul says, I pray also that the lies of your heart, eyes of your heart, lies of your heart, eyes of your heart may be enlightened. To know what? The hope to which he's called you. It's incomparably great power to those who believe. All those things we get to receive. Why? Because we were once darkness, but now we're light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. You know the story, and I'm sure this song has already rung through in your head. John Newton was once a slave trader. Saw himself as a horrible, horrible sinner because of what he had done. But through the prayers of his mother and the gospel, he lives a changed life. And what happens? He becomes a preacher. And as a result, he also writes what is, I know Mr. Buddy's favored him, and uh, most likely, most likely the 
most popular hymn text of all time. And he sees this blind guy from John 9 in himself. When he says, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Why? I once was blind. But now what? I can see. I can see. I can see. At the end of his life, one of the last things that John Newton said was this, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. This is your story, people. This is your song. I was a sinner. I was blind. I was lost. Now I'm found. Now I see. Now I'm redeemed power in your story. Let's share it. Lord, we thank you this morning for your power that is at work within each and every one of us, and you are a great God and greatly to be praised. I pray that this morning we'll be encouraged by the power of the gospel, that we will know that you have brought us out of darkness into light, that you have redeemed us, that you call us by name, that we were once lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we can see. So, Lord, this morning we say thank you. We bless you. We praise you. We rejoice in you. In your bulletins, there's a, there's a white connection card. We usually fill this out just to uh, share prayer requests, and I want to encourage you to do that. If you have prayer requests or if you're a guest, but also, would you take a moment, and if you have some decision that you want to make this morning, where you want to just share what God is doing in you, just put it on that card. In other words, if you want to give your life to Christ, or give your life back to Christ, or pray that you have more power, pray for more power, pray for a lack of fear, pray for a lack of skepticism, or just whatever it might be, just put it on that card. It will, We want to have the opportunity to pray for you. While you get those ready, our worship team is going to begin to sing, and in just a moment we're going to take up the offering. Um, Before we do, Rich has several announcements. um, Please pay attention while he shares, while you write. I know there's a lot going on, but he has several things. We've got a lot going on as we're kicking back off. Um, I've already told you about tonight, 6 o'clock. Please be back for that. Then Rich has some other opportunities to share for you the week, and then we'll worship God through the giving of an offering. Thanks, Bart. Uh, Yes, we have a lot going on this week, and so I'm going to hit the high points.